This week's performance anxiety features Laura Hall from Whose Line Is It Anyway? We talk about how she got started in music, how she began in improv, getting the Whose Line Is It Anyway gig. We also talk about some of her favorite moments from the show. We discuss her band Sweet Potatoes, and we also talk about karaoke improv and working with Roger Daltrey. Check out her website at laurahall.com. Check her out on Twitter and Instagram at Laura Hall Music. Give our show a follow at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or any other platform that you listen to us on. Please enjoy this week's Performance Anxiety with Laura Hall. Okay, are you ready for it? I'm all set. Hi, I'm Laura Hall from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And this is Performance Anxiety. You okay? What was that? Are you okay? So oh, just... yeah. I was just shutting the door because yes. I thought, oh, <laughs> my husband's watching TV. We won't be getting background noise. Yeah, okay. I'm just tidying up. That's all. Okay. I appreciate you jumping on with me tonight. Thank you. Oh, sure. I'm sorry it took so long. We've been traveling a lot this last six weeks. Oh, no problem. So then when I get home, I'm, I feel like I'm getting caught up on 5 million things. And I just, anyway. Do you do a, a lot of traveling? Um, we do. And more now that our kids are in college. And so I travel with my husband and we um, teach music improv I, at, you know, yeah. universities and clubs and theaters and stuff. And so we'll travel and we'll go to a venue and, like do a sort of intensive weekend, you know, oh. where we're teaching and performing and maybe coaching a house team. Sometimes I coach musical directors, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, so they're nice. They're nice weekend trips. You can fly out on, you know, Friday, work through the weekend and be home on Monday. Oh, gosh. So there. Nice. Yeah. So ho- hopefully I'll be able to do something like that soon. My three kids are all well, almost all in high school got an eighth grader a freshman and a sophomore oh wow yeah so that's that's coming <laughs> it, it is an interesting it's an interesting change when the when the kids when the kids are gone um you know part of me is looking forward to it i know my wife is dreading it because she's just uh, not used to having the no kids in the house so mm-hmm. so that'll be one hurdle to overcome <laughs> right Right. And it's like, it's like the whole parenting thing. I feel like it's the job that always keeps changing. You know what I mean? Like as they get older, because the way you parent a two year old is completely different from how you parent a 12 year old. So, you know, it's like the job keeps changing. Yeah. And, and, and the same is true with, you know, now both my kids are away at college, but uh, you're still parenting them, you know, you're still, but it's just different. It just is another shift. It feels to me, and maybe it's just because of the the age my kids are and the stages they're in right now, that the longer I'm in this job, the harder it gets. It's just, <laughs> it's it's like the opposite of my other job, where the longer I'm at it, the more I know what I'm doing. Kind of feel like the longer right, I'm doing exactly. this, the less I know what I'm doing. It's ridiculous. I know exactly what you mean, uh, and and middle school and high school are. <laughs> 
I hate to say it, but they're they're kind of brutal. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we got all three of them going through at the same time. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's not fun. It, it's it's funny because on one end we go through it all all at once, and then we're done with whatever phase it right. is. But right. holy God, is it brutal when they're doing it? Yeah. If it's not a fun stage, it's just it's terrible. Yeah, and I love my kids to death, but oh my gosh, they try me. Oh man. Yep, I I <laughs> I felt the same way, but it will come through on the other side. I have my kids are lovely young adults, and not that we still don't have stuff, but but they're really lovely young adults. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, okay, well we 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 got through it okay, and they came out so far. They're doing. <laughs> They're doing all right. So you've done your job well. So that's good. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. That's what you're always hoping for, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because nobody sees the behind the scenes part when the, when you're wondering what the hell I did wrong that they're acting right. like this. So. Right. <laughs> well, yep. again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I've got a couple couple uh things that uh, i guess two disclaimers one is that um one i'm sure you hear from everybody that interviews you is i love i love improv i i've i've taken some classes and i love it whose line is is what one got me interested in taking the classes so that's out of the way so got that. <laughs> the second one is I just want to make a, a disclaimer to the listeners that you are not the Laura Hall uh, that was convicted of murder in 2005. No, I'm not. Although at one point when she was up for parole, there was an article on the Internet where they took her bio and my bio and did a mashup. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so it was like. Yes, she murdered her roommate, and she's been on Whose Line Is It? <laughs> but, but then it also, like, if you read it at all, it made zero sense because it was like she's been in jail for nine years or whatever and <laughs> was doing Whose Line from jail? From, or, in was, Texas? You know, it was just like, yeah. That's quite a, 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 you know, an understanding parole officer you have. Yes, exactly. Some yeah. sort of work release program. Yeah, go to your comedy and then come back. <laughs> we trust you. I mean, you're going to be on TV, right? Like we, every, we'll know where you are. How far could you go? Yeah, we'll know where you are. It's it, you're, yeah. You'll be easy to track. So, so I guess that leads me to one of my first questions: is whenever you get interviewed, do interviews interviewers try really hard to just to make you laugh because of your association with Whose Line? Um, no, I would say not. And actually people think I'm a tough laugh because I don't laugh much on camera when we're doing the show. Right. Like one of the big questions they always ask is how do you keep from cracking up? Or, you know, why don't you laugh when things are really funny? Right. Um, so, so people a lot of times assume I'm a really tough laugh, but I'm not actually, it's just that when we're, when we're improvising and so focused and and like when we're improvising a song, I've got, a you know, they're th they've got a lot going on that they're thinking of. But there's also a lot going on that I'm thinking of. I'm trying to track where we're going. Do they want to go to a chorus? Are we going to end now? Do we want to do a breakdown? Whatever all the, you know, infinite number of options there are. So I'm thinking about all that stuff. And so it doesn't register as funny in the same way it does to the audience. Right, right. And then, and, and then when I'll watch the show later, you know, I'll laugh my head off. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> while we're while we're doing it, I'm like in hyper focus mode, you know. So anyway, so people think a lot of times like, oh, she doesn't have she doesn't laugh very easy. Yeah. No, actually, I'm a pretty easy laugh. You can ask my husband. But you're a professional. That's what it is. But I'm a professional, and I'm also, you know, it's like that that thing when you're performing, like you're you're on the edge of your seat. You know what I mean? Like you're you're hyper focused. You're I don't know how to I don't know how to put it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like a tennis player is just like where what's going to happen next? What's the next move? You're in your so, zone. Yeah, you're in the zone. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right, so how did you get started in music? Did you grow up in a house full of music? Uh, did you did you take lessons as a kid? Or how did how did everything get started? Well, I did take piano lessons. My family is actually shockingly unmusical, and they will be the first to admit it. When they sing happy birthday, it's a scary event. Oh, no. <laughs> I love them dearly, but they can't, hold, you know, they can't carry a tune in a bucket. Oh, but my, my grandfather played piano, and I loved to listen to him play. And so I begged and begged for piano lessons, and I finally got them. I think half the reason I stuck with it was because I was the youngest of three girls, and I surpassed my two old, older sisters. Oh, fairly quickly. So, you know, to be a younger who's better at something <laughs> than the than than your older sisters, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I I I'm the oldest. So, uh, but I see my my youngest daughter doing that. She she's very competitive in that regard. So, I know I I see yeah. exactly what you're saying. Uh, yeah. So, I took piano lessons and then when I got into like high school age, I really wanted to learn how to play by ear and play in a band and write songs. And I had all these things. And my piano teacher was like, uh, that's not real music. Oh, oh my. <laughs> like, like, that's not valid at all. Like wow. playing Bach and Mozart, that's real. All the rest of it just doesn't count. And oh. I'm like, well, <laughs> wow. hold on. There's a whole world out there. Yeah. So I, I ended up leaving that teacher and I found a teacher who would teach me like theory and stuff so that I could write my own songs, um, oh. understand musical structure, how songs were put together, and then be able to, you know, play along and, you know, do the, do, you know, people who learn by ear do that first. I did it second oh, okay. because I had learned by, with traditional piano lessons. So I have both, which is great. You know, I have, I can read music, but then I also did Spent a lot of time training my ear and, and all that, too. Did you study music in, in college? Did you, did you uh, go to college for music or did you did you just jump into uh, performing? What, what, what were you doing after you know elementary and grade school? Well, so I did go to college for music. It took me a little while to um, to sort of own it, to feel confident enough and also to get over the like what an impractical thing to get a degree in you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> like what a crazy that's ridiculous but I did it anyway and then um but it took me a while I was on the five and a half year plan uh, and uh it's faster than and me then, <laughs> and then right before my senior year uh the summer before my senior year I had been working at Second City as a waitress and then I would do that my junior year of college I would do the occasional gigs with the touring company, maybe one every six weeks or two months. 
Okay. And so then, uh, uh, and and the touring schedule was mostly around, we mostly toured uh, universities, so it was around the school year. So like in August, we all got together to kind of prep for the fall tours. I was supposed to still just be the one gig a month or every couple months person. I was the backup. We're at this very first, like, getting to know you thing. The guy who was ahead of me and the woman who ran the program get in a huge blowout fight. He storms out. She turns to me and says, so do you want to go on the road? Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, I'm starting my senior (laughs) year in, like, three or four weeks. Um, And it's taken me this long to get here. Like, I just felt like I couldn't bag on it at that point so she goes well you're gonna have to decide to figure it out and you gotta decide wow so i called the head of the music department have a meeting with her i say can i do this like an internship people weren't that into internships in those days like they are now you know yeah can we call this an internship (laughs) i'll do independent studies i'll do you know when i am home i'll i'll go to classes but i'll do a lot of projects on my own and she said well no one's ever done it before and i said i know but could i <laughs> <laughs> and i talked him into it oh my so gosh i started it was like my career and the end of college just couldn't have dovetailed better wow you know? so it was being around all that uh all those improv players worked for your worked to your benefit in that case you you thought on your yeah. feet yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I thought on my feet when I wanted to get I wanted to get it to work my way. So <laughs> then I worked with the touring company at Second City for several years and it was like the best training ground. You know, you're playing every kind of venue, every you know what I mean, every kind of sound system, every kind of audience, yeah. different casts all the time. It it couldn't have been a better training ground musically for me, you know. So at this and that, oh what oh no I was I was just gonna say at this point are you are you still just doing the music or are you uh, getting out and and playing with the players? Oh, totally the music. I've you know it's funny people always ask like, don't you want to get up and how come they don't let you play with them or whatever? I I'm I'm not particularly interested in that. Oh. I really like it from the musical side. And that's not always the case. There's a lot of people who end up being the musical director, like by default in their <laughs> improv com- cast, you know, like, yeah. hey, you can play piano, you do it, <laughs> you know. And and then sometimes you have like frustrated actors stuck behind the piano. But I've never, I love what they do, but I love what I, what, what I want, what I love is what I do. You well, know what I mean? Is the oh, musical yeah. side of it. Again. I've never been like, how come I can't be an actor? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So you, you just started touring with second city. Right. So then I toured with them for several years and then I got promoted up to um, the second city ETC, which was the second theater where I got to stay home in Chicago, Okay, you know, stay home and do, and do shows there, which obviously was a lot easier than touring. Oh, yeah. Although I enjoyed touring. I've always liked traveling a lot. Um, and then I was also, because that was more stable and steady. I was also playing in bands. I was uh, doing, just doing sort of a variety of things. I was teaching piano, doing a little bit of everything 
Um, after I left there, then I worked like with the Annoyance. I I played for them a lot. I did piano bar. I played for dance classes. I played in wedding bands. I did everything. <laughs> wow. And I and I think it actually has been the best for me as an improviser because I've done a little bit of everything, and and it just it. I, I think it, it really um, made me even stronger as an improviser, doing all those different things, being a songwriter, being an accompanist for singers, being, you know, doing doing everything. Um, so then we moved. Then after that, we so. Oh, and I met my husband in the train company, too. Rick okay. was an actor. And uh, what about what year was that? This was in the early 80s, like maybe 83, 84 Okay. I think I opened my ETC show, I think it was 85 or 86. Did you come run across any of the uh, bigger names that were in Second City at that time? Did you play so, with any of the bigger guys? Um, you know, I did I did a, a little bit. I played, you know, um, I mean, on, on the big famous stage. I did play with Chris Farley a couple times in the touring company. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and poor Chris. He was a deer. And his own worst enemy. Yeah, but he really was a lovely, a lovely guy, um, and really messed up. Yeah, I'll just put it that way. And I actually played for. So um, I also would play for the the people who would come up through the conservatory. You know, you'd do five classes, and then you'd have a graduation show. Right. Yeah. Um, and I played for Steve Carell's level five and I played for Stephen Colbert's level five. Oh, cool. And both of them, because I played for a lot of those and a lot of people came through both those guys. I went, those guys have something. They, you know what I yeah. mean? Like they've got, they got a thing. They got a thing. Like, well, I, I don't know. You've seen, a, at that point, you'd seen a lot of people going through it. You can definitely yes. tell when somebody has, the 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 desire to do it the the and and I guess the intangibles to to make a career yeah, out of it yeah yeah and it and it it you know it it is partly ambition it's partly you know talent it's also that just that charm thing or the I I don't even know how to put it like but like Wayne Brady is one he's got that thing oh god yeah he's got, that thing. <laughs> he's got so a lot the of things. And and he was really an inex- you know pretty inexperienced when he first started doing Who's Line. I mean, he had been working in Florida and stuff, but he's pretty inexperienced. But I was like, oh, he's got that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's just it's a. He's he's it, got such a, a charisma about him. It's just yeah, yeah. And and for so, it to come across on TV is, I mean, because he, he comes across as somebody just larger than life, and it's just yeah. It's so entertaining. Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good, that's a really good way to put it. So when I was doing the ETC, Rick was on the Second City main stage, and he was in a cast with Mike Myers. Oh, wow. Um, who else came through? Um, Megan Fay. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, and and I was with uh, Jane and Jeff Machowski, who aren't like world famous, but they're well known among improvisers. Dad, Rick worked with Dan Castellaneta as well. Oh, geez, yeah. Uh, together, yeah. So, yeah, so that was sort of the era we were there. 
And then a lot of the people like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, those, they were after us. They okay. were after we had left Chicago and moved to L.A. Okay. So you moved out to L.A. and... Uh... So we moved to L.A. and I was like, I'm not doing improv anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like being an improv musician is like the niche within the niche. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, yeah. it's just too narrow. Um, there's not like a second city kind of gig here that's going to be sort of a steady. You know what I mean? A kind yeah. of like steady gig like Second City was. And I just felt like I wanted to do more of a variety of things. So I took some classes in film scoring and I was working on a musical and I would play every open mic I could find just to be meeting musicians and, you know, doing just kind of trying to find my way around. But I wanted to like play and dance and be a songwriter was really sort of my ultimate goal. Okay. And, um, and I was, I did that for a little bit and then I got, a call to audition for Who's Line. And it was from my friend Ron West, who was a producer on the British version. Okay. And then also we were in the touring company together at Second City. Right. Oh. So that's my link. Okay. So so when they were looking for musicians, they were like, any does anyone know anyone? And there were three people who were supposed to audition. Ron had recommended me. I was the first one. I auditioned with Wayne and Brad. Oh gosh. and and we all three got hired out of out of it. That's so amazing. Yeah, it it, it was really it, it was it was really great. But it was funny because, you know, a lot of times I mean, I, I won't say I wasn't nervous because I was, but um, I was like, I know how to do this. I did this at Second City for so long. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I know how to do this and I know how to make actors look good. Yeah. You know, and that's always like the whole thing with improv that sometimes people don't get it's all about making each other look good the, the whole and we all three looked good at that audition you well, know what i mean yeah the whole yes and concept of, of yeah no denials and just accepting it and, and building on the premise that was given to you right and right. I, and that that works it, its way into the music i'm sure as well Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that thing of like really reading each other and listening to each other, which is especially interesting when you don't know the person. You oh. know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I had I had done actually just a couple gigs with Brad. I can't even remember what the context was, but I'd, I'd improvised with Brad just a little bit. Um, but I'd never met Wayne before we auditioned together. Oh, wow. And and that thing of you know, it, 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 it makes you extra on your toes because you're trying to read someone that you don't know, that you don't have that common reference. You know, like Colin and Ryan have been friends for a hundred million years. Yeah. They've improvised together forever. They know what the other one's thinking before they think it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. And there's, there's something really cool about that. There's definitely something cool about that. But there's also something interesting about improvising with someone you just met. Yeah. And and not knowing anything. It works well when there's a good comfort level because you can anticipate what's coming, but then there's more of an excitement, I guess, when you don't know what's coming. So Yeah. And I, I remember watching Colin and Ryan on the on the uh the UK version when I was in college and mm -hmm. finding out that it, there was gonna be an, a US version, I I got really excited and I couldn't wait to watch it. 
How long after the audition were you contacted and, and did they let you know that you had gotten the job? It was pretty quick, thankfully, oh, good. you know, because Rick is an actor auditions all the time. And sometimes it'll be weeks before you find out. But I found out pretty quickly. And part of it was that worked to my advantage. And but I didn't know it at the time, but was because I was a woman, because there were so many guys in the cast. It was basically an all male cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even the and even the fourth chair people, for the most part, were men. And the network was like, you got to have, can, can you get a woman in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so me being a woman was, was an advantage. They were like, look, there's a woman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, we did end up having some women in the fourth chair. Yeah. But, um, but it definitely was a little bit of a boys club. And the network was like, no, we don't want it to be exclusively a boys club. So, yeah. So I found out pretty quickly and we did, the first thing we did was six episodes where we had the British host Clive. Yes. Came over and we did this sort of what I call a hybrid version with him as the host, but in America and with, and sort of the format that they were hoping the American show would be. Right. Um, And then they used those for like the test marketing stuff. Okay. And but they already knew that Drew was on board with this because Ryan was the one who pitched it to them and then um and he brought Drew along. Okay. You know okay. I mean? So so Drew was already along, but they did it with the British host. And I think the thinking was, wow, people like it this much with this sort of rather dry British host, they'll love it with Drew who like, you know, is like every man. He's like a guy you'd have a beer with. Yeah. You know, his show was was really uh, the Drew Carey show was cooking at the time. It was the the highest rated thing on ABC. So oh, yeah. So they were like, "This is just a perfect fit." Oh yeah, that that was just a funny show. I used to love watching that show. And then Who's Line came on right after it, I believe, right? So it'd be the Drew Carey show, and then Who's Line would, would yeah come, would air in right the after. beginning. They were doing it that way, yeah, because they were you know they were trying to get people to. Um, like, oh, you like Drew? Here he is in his other thing. Yeah. But then later, later on, they ended up moving us all over the place, partly because we kind of could go almost anywhere, and it could work almost anywhere time-wise. I well, mean, they sense. never put us in the day, but they moved us around days a week. They moved us around times because we were sort of a good transition piece, so to speak. Oh yeah, it, it's like you said. You know, you don't have to worry about transitioning into something. You don't want to, you know, obviously you don't want to go from a comedy into a, a, a medical drama. So. Right. And it's it's a little bit different in the, the UK version with uh, the, the censorship issues. I know the, the UK version right. tend to be a little loose. Right. And we were ABC, which was ABC Family, right? It's owned yeah. by Disney. You know what I mean? So it was even more so than maybe had we been on CBS or something. Yeah. And now on the CW, you know, all bets are off. and i mean part of it is it's just the times have changed as well you know but it is also being on the cw as opposed to abc family but we're we're starting we're starting our 16th season in january that's amazing and there was and there was like five years in between Right. So it's been right. about 20 years since we started. Oh, well, actually, gosh. see, I was pregnant. 
I was pregnant uh, with my younger daughter on our first full season, so that's always my marker, and she's oh. almost 20. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Wow. One of the things that I always loved about the show was that it almost seems rehearsed because everybody's so good. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to take an improv class was because I, I wanted to know how you, you guys did it. How, how did you know what to do? I mean, you, you're sitting up there just, is it really just getting suggestions from the audience or did you guys practice it? Do you know, like, a, is it a one of like five suggestions like the, that maybe they, they'll, they'll sprinkle in and, and, Maybe a couple things are planned, but none of it is. It, I was blown away in my first classes to find out that it it really truly is improv. How hard is it musically to do something that the audience throws out at you? You're just sitting there behind your your keyboard or your piano, and somebody throws out, hey, "Wayne's going to do a reggae song about you know Clorox." How difficult is it? Is that on your end? Um. Well, for for one thing, obviously, Linda and I, because now after the second season, then Linda Taylor came in as well. Right. And I felt like things really expanded, could expand with her, because then we could sort of cover anything. Because the truth is, some styles are more guitar-driven and some are more piano-driven, right? If it's, right, yeah. If we're getting, right, if we're getting heavy metal, I'm like, have at it, Linda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most stressful part. So we have this advantage. We have this full arsenal, right? Linda's got her acoustic guitar, a banjo, uh, an electric guitar, a bass. I've got two drum machines, a, a synthesizer, a piano. I've got an acoustic guitar and a ukulele, right? So between us, we can, and then she plays keyboard sometimes. And she also has a drum machine. Okay. Basically that's, the gist of it. So we can cover a lot of bases sonically, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and sometimes it doesn't take much to get a style going, to get the audience to go, oh, okay, that's reggae. It's really okay. interesting how little sometimes it takes. And sometimes it is <laughs> the tone. So if I get reggae, I'm going to put... You know, I'm going to pull up a reggae drum machine patch. I'm going to have bass in my left hand. I'm going to have organ in my right doing the tick, 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 right? And mm -hmm. Linda's going to do a little noodly, you know, little tiny noodly lines. And right. people will go, oh, my God, that's reggae, <laughs> yeah. right? So yeah. it's, it's funny, like there's sort of a shorthand for how you can get into those styles. And then, of course, obviously, it's also huge is that the singers know what to do to make it feel like reggae as well. Oh, yeah. Right? So they have to be well-versed in a lot of styles as well. So it's a really interesting thing. It's like you do have to, you have to have like a giant bag of tricks. And I swear to God, the most nerve-wracking part is pulling up the drum machine pattern <laughs> and the sound on my synth. Yeah. And, you know... And I, I feel like I'm like, like the minute they go, oh, it's reggae. I'm like pushing five million buttons, <laughs> pressing the pedals for her guitar or whatever. Um, <laughs> and that's the most nerve wracking part. But the truth of it is on the television show is if we weren't ready, they can cut the dead air out. Right. Right. If, if we're still scrambling, pushing buttons, which has happened a few times. 
They can cut the dead air out. And I will also tell you this, is that, so it is really improvised. And, and we never, ever, they never knew what the suggestion was going to be, that, you know, that it's going to be Clorox, right? Right. But, so say we're doing a game like Greatest Hits, and, and it's songs about Clorox. We probably did five or six of them, and they used the best three. Okay. So it is really improvised, but it's also edited. And so although we have a very good success rate, and you know, with all improv, it's like not everything goes as great as you would hope. <laughs> yeah. Part of the deal. Yep. Um, we do have a really good success rate, but there's editing involved. And they're picking, not only are they picking the best three, they're probably putting the, the best one last, right? So you right. have a little arc headed towards, headed towards your best thing. Okay. Um, right? So it's and a little then, editing and a little, little sequencing maybe on some of the, the tracks. Exactly. That I mean, they're taking a whole one. So say we did, you know, a reggae, a Ray Charles, an opera, a ragtime, and a Motown. And it might be that they'll use the Motown. You know what I mean? They'll pick they'll pick the three that went best. Right. They won't edit within it, but they'll pick the three that went best. So um, yeah, and and when you think about when you think about a game like um, like props, where it's a cut back and forth to the two teams. Yeah. Right. They probably did a bunch more than actually air because sometimes it just takes a little while for the juices to get flowing and the brain to get moving, you know? Yeah. yeah. So if they're cutting back and forth and each doing five, they probably actually did 10. So and they're taking the best five. So how, how much gets left on the cutting room floor? How long does a, a, a an episode tape for? I mean, uh, and how many do you do in a day? So if, if you, we've got an hour long show or half an hour long show, a half hour show. Okay, half an hour show. Right, which is actually, you know, 22 or 23 minutes. Right, right. right. By the time there's commercials. In fact, yeah, so so they're they're always thinking about the games fitting in between the commercial breaks, right? Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Obviously, you don't think about when you're doing improv live. Right. So what we, what we do is we take for it's a really long day. The audiences are fantastic that they stick with us for this long day and we'll take maybe 28 30 games okay and we need six or seven to make an episode oh right okay. okay so we always get two we almost always get three and every once in a while we get four oh, wow. so if we get four episodes out of it that means pretty much every single thing hit right okay yeah and it does happen so well, most of the time we get they get three episodes out of it. And so as we're doing the show, they're kind of already thinking about, oh, this, you know, this music game would be great with this, whatever. You know, they're they're trying to divvy up the music games. They're trying to combine things in a way. And so then at the end, we do pickups for the introductions because things won't necessarily be in the order that we originally did them does that make sense yes yes it does they're kind of they're kind of cherry picking out of what we did yeah and so we have to do extra intros to cover um oh this time you know what if we go if we're going from greatest hits into scenes from a hat 
We need an intro that's going to do that, even though we didn't really do it in that order. So the last like half hour or 40 minutes is a million intros and a million openings <laughs> so that we can get more of them. And the crowd is tired and hungry and we're tired and hungry and it can be so hard. Those are the moments when Ryan gets really cranky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the moments. Oh, he and Colin, they're, you know, the obviously the, the, the backbone of this. When they have to go up and sing, they look so uncomfortable. Are they yeah. are they really that uncomfortable, or is it just kind of a well? I'm Wayne's the 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 singer, so I'm gonna just pretend like I'm uncomfortable, and I but I really want to do it. Um, and well, you know, Colin will be the very first to say that he is not a very strong singer, right. and um, and yet he does it, and I think it sort of comes from his Second City background of that. Everybody's got to sing. If you're in Second City, you got to sing, even if you're not a great singer. Oh. You have to at least sing in the cast numbers, right? Right. So I think it's like he's like, okay, this is what's expected, so I'll do it. Um, but he doesn't particularly like doing it, and Ryan doesn't particularly like doing it either. <laughs> yeah. um, and then here's the thing too: like Ryan is, but Ryan really, truly does not like doing the hoedown. Um, yeah. That's not just. That's not just a bit. He really doesn't like doing it. If that comes across. And, yes, and, and, and it does. And the whole down is unique because, like, Irish drinking song, a game like that, you're, you're setting each other up to rhyme, right? You know, it's like a setup mm -hmm. game. And, and so the four singers are, like, interacting through the whole song, right? right. Which is how improv is, that we're interacting a lot. Yeah. A hoedown, basically, you write your own little verse and then sing it, right? So you, you're basically writing like a musical joke in your head, and then you sing it. And so it's not improv in the same way. It's not interactive in the same way. And I think okay, that's yeah. why they don't like it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I guess it goes against everything that they, maybe not against, but it's not what they're used to, what, what, what they do, basically. Yeah. Yeah, which is always about the, playing with each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now it's like, okay, now go in your head and write a funny verse and then sing it. Yeah. Um, but people love the hoedown. That's the other thing, though. It's <laughs> like as much as Ryan complains about it, people love the hoedown. Well, we, yeah, so they, they love his – well, his verses are – It's it, they're obviously painful for him, and I think that's what people like about it. <laughs> They like watching him being uncomfortable because on, on so many other things, he and, and Colin and, and Brad, Wayne, the, all the other guys, they're pretty effortless. They're very comfortable in, in improv right. and they, they do everything so effortlessly. And right. when they, it's just fun to see them squirm a little bit. That's true. That's really true. That is probably partly why people like it so much. So, and it's, uh, you know, Plus the fact that they're just goofy and it just, it kills me. And, and I'll tell you right now, one of my favorite uh, uh, scenes that you guys have ever done was the one when Richard Simmons came on and you guys were, I don't remember, I don't remember what in the heck the song was, but Wayne Brady was, was just going up. Richard Simmons was just doing all kinds of weird stuff. And yeah, Wayne's sitting there asking Richard what the hell he's doing and,
the whole anytime Richard Simmons came on, I don't know, I don't remember how often he came on. I don't think it was too too often. It may have even been just the once, but oh my gosh, that was one of my favorite episodes. Musically, imp, you know, the, the improv yeah. scenes. He was like a ping pong ball. Like <laughs> uh, he's got to be like ADD or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he like even when he's not on camera, he is just he was just like boop, 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 like everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting. And a couple times, I think the producers were like, "Is is he paying attention? Did he hear what?" Like you know, when they're telling him, "Okay, you'll come out and do this, and this is going to happen," and you can't tell if he's paying attention because he's sort of like everywhere. It's so, really interesting. So he really is that way because that's he definitely appears that way when he's on camera. He really is that way. Yes, he oh. was, and he was. Uh, he was just like bouncing off the walls and he was incredibly fun. I'm like, I could not imagine living with him. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, oh wow. That's being like stuck in a car with him or something. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't, I, you know, it's bad enough. My, I love my, my kids, but they're, they get to be a handful in the car. I couldn't Richard Simmons is worse than all of my kids combined at their, <laughs> at their worst. Oh my gosh! But he's hilarious on the show. He is, and he was, and he was so sweet. He was really sweet and and positive, and 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 although sometimes, like I was saying, you you couldn't quite tell if he was paying attention. He wanted to do a really good job. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he cared about it, and um, he, it's just his energy, the way that he works. You know, the way his brain goes. So. I- you you've been on what it's like over 280 episodes at this point is that accurate yeah oh i don't know the exact number but i think it's somewhere around there do you have a a favorite game or or stories of something that never made it to air that you're allowed that you'd be allowed to share <laughs> now you and remember this this isn't necessarily this isn't abc family this is just a podcast so <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, there's not a particular one that didn't make it to air. Like some of my very favorite moments ever on the show did make it to air. Probably the ones that most haven't is when Ryan is ticked off about having to do a hoedown (laughs) and he will, um, and he will bag it intentionally. Oh God. So we'll get all the way through it. And typically he's last. Yep. We'll get all the way through it. He's last, and he'll drop an F bomb in the last <laughs> line of the last verse. I, I have seen that every once in a while. They will air either air it with the the bleep, or um, I remember seeing one episode where he mentioned that he's like, "Yeah, I guess we can't drop F bombs or something in in yeah, the intro." Yeah, and he'll you know he'll do it just because he's. Tired and cranky and not happy about having to do it or whatever. And so some of those moments. But the thing is, it's, we're all like, oh, dear God, now we have to do another one. And we're going to be stuck here even longer. So stop it, Ryan. Just do one. But it's his, you know, it's his small form of protest. But I think my, I think my very favorite moments that I can think of all really did air. Like um, my... I really like three-headed singer, the three-headed Broadway star. Oh yes. And my, I think my very favorite moment ever on the show was we were doing one, and Drew was was singing, 
and um, was one of the three. And it was going really, really well. And and so I sort of took it like to a like a swell up to a bridge, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And Drew got all excited and sang, "Won't you take me on a ride?" I I I remember that one. You remember that one? Yes, because you're only supposed to say one word at a time. Exactly. And he 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 started rattling off a verse. Got like carried away in the moment of the music. It wasn't him farting around. You know what I mean? It was like he genuinely was moved by the music. (laughs) Yeah. And and then he laughed through the whole rest of the song. (laughs) I remember that. And I I think that was probably my favorite moment of all time. I also really liked when Robin Williams was on and we did a big gospel number. Yes. Do you, and you ever saw that one? And they, oh, yeah. they went up in the house, they went up in the audience and, uh, I remember that. Yes. And, and yeah, it was, it was, you know, raising the roof kind of big fat gospel number. I, I had a really good time doing that. Well, getting to work with Robin Williams would have, would have been a highlight of just about anybody's career. Yeah, yeah. I remember one, and and this is just a little aside, I I don't remember what episode it was or even what the song was, but I remember one time that uh, Wayne was supposed to sing a song, and you're getting the the keyboard set, and you you punch in your drum beat, and it gets stuck at some insane uh, beats per minute, and it just, it won't turn off. Oh, right. (laughs) Well, yeah. So it was the um, we we were doing a a, um, village people kind of thing. (laughs) So it was already sort of up tempo and energy. And there's a button on my keyboard. So the keyboard was generating the drums. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, just because it had it had that, too. And um, and there's a button on the keyboard, an accelerate button. And. I'd never noticed it before, never used it. And when I was playing, I guess I was just like, you know, getting excited. And I accidentally punched the accelerate Down, right? What happened to the? Um, it's hard to explain. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. No, I didn't know the village people even did poke it. <laughs> Watch out for those tempo changes, man. Because when we go into the second bridge, this <laughs> takes off. <laughs> Howard, or as uh, as Wayne spells it, Harward. <laughs> It's hard to spell at 210 beats per minute. But I had no idea what was going on. I could not figure it out. And they're looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I 
don't know. Like, <laughs> like, like, I so genuinely, like, people think I did that to punk them or something, and I totally did not. I had, I literally had to, like, turn my keyboard off to get it to stop. <laughs> I remember, that's one of my favorite moments of all time on that show. Yeah, it was, and of course, that's what people remember was, like, my biggest screw-up, you know, like, the biggest... And my favorite moment of it was I looked down at the keyboard. I'm trying to figure out what is happening. And I look up and Colin is trying to dance like they were doing some sort of, you know, disco dance with. And he's doing them like faster and faster. <laughs> and he just looked like so adorably hilarious. And like, I, I totally lost it. <laughs> that, that was such a great moment. That, that just uh, solidified the show as one of my favorite episodes of all time it was one of my favorite and one of my most embarrassing like <laughs> but you know that's that's what improv is right you you, you gotta be out there and, and be open to to fall on your face right so, yep so all of this has led to a book and some uh, improv karaoke cds yeah can you tell me a little bit about those yeah, so I did improv karaoke because people would always be like, hey, can you send me a track for the hoedown or for the average drinking song because my improv group wants to do it. And I can't because legally I can't. It's in my contract because those right. particular tunes are owned by the show. And so I'm like, I can't. But I'm like, oh, but I could send you an Irish style track or a, you know what I mean, yeah. or a country style track. So I started making some tracks in different styles, and then I ended up doing this improv karaoke CD, so it's a bunch of different styles. And then I brought some friends in to improvise over the tracks to sort of be demos for people who, who'd never done song improv before. You know what I mean, if you yeah. didn't know how to do it. So we had Dan Castellaneta and Keegan-Michael Key and... Um, we just we had we had some really fun people come in. Uh, Kathy Kinney came and did one, and oh, cool. uh, and and my husband Rick did a bunch. We had a really good time, and so then I made this like two CD set, and so people who, and so one is with the demos and some tutorials, and then the other is just the tracks. So people use it to work out when they don't have a musician. Okay. And a fair amount of improv groups are using it now for performance. Which wasn't what I was thinking at first. I was thinking just for like practice. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But um, but there's people who use it for performance and in all sorts of interesting and creative ways. Like I've met different improv groups who are like, oh, we use it this way. We have them pick a number and then that tells us the style and then that you know. Oh wow. it, It's just interesting. Well, that's awesome. So that was the first thing, and um, and you know, it, it's it's a teaching tool, but then also has turned into this performance tool as well. And then um, I was doing a podcast with a guy named Bob, Bob Baker. Okay. And after we finished, he said, have you ever thought about writing a book about what you do? And I'm like, I have no idea how to write a book. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like sort of too busy to learn how to be, or what, you know what I mean? Like learning to be an author just is like a whole nother new thing to learn. And he's like, well, I'm an author and I've written a lot of books. And books about how to do things, you know what I mean? Like right. the instructional books. Oh, cool. So he's like, we could co-write this. And I'm like, 
that would be so cool. Yes. And then it, it turns out, you know, he also does improv. He's also a musician. He's also a writer. He's one of those like very widely creative kind of people. Well, there you go. So I, we, we sort of figured out the sections, you know, and then I would type up a bunch of stuff and send it to him. And he like turned it into paragraphs and chapters and all sorts of beautiful. Oh, wow. <laughs> like he structured it because I didn't know how to structure it. Okay. Like I felt like I had the information, but I didn't know how to structure it. Oh, that makes so, sense. So, uh, yeah. So then we we started the book, and and it's interesting because a lot of actors are, again, once you do something, you never know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Like actors and directors will get it because they want to know how to talk to a musician, right? Because ah. it's for musicians. Okay. Um. So they want to know how to talk to a musician, or they want to train a musician. They know a college student who plays who's interested in learning, but they don't know how to tell them how to do what I do. Okay. So then they're like, oh, now I have a book and that can help. So then we can have a common language, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a translation guide. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a translation guide. Because really what what I do is is sort of a mystery to the actors most of the time. They know when they like it or when they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really know what I'm doing over there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> One thing you had mentioned about the hoedown uh, leads me to a question that I had, had almost forgotten about. The songs that you guys do, they're improv, but I guess does the, the, the production company own those songs after they're improvised? I mean, you can't like, go to a... Uh, and we'll talk about this in a second, but you can't do a, a gig with your band, the Sweet Potatoes, and, and throw out the reggae song about Clorox. Exactly, exactly. So they do everything that we create on the show, they they own, although we do get the publishing, okay. right? I get ASCAP. Oh, cool. And yeah, so because they're original compositions, right? right so... Right. Um, but they own them and we couldn't. And that's why I was saying why, like, I'm not allowed to record the hoedown and send it to people. Right. Uh, or, or in any way I couldn't, right. I couldn't make a CD of songs that we've done on Who's Line. Right. Yeah. Like a greatest hits of, of, of greatest Wayne hits. and Laura. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, right. So they are the property of the show, but we do get, um, we do get publishing on them as songwriters, as creators. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, I didn't even think about how that would work until just trying to, and, and I would, I was watching old episodes. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder how that works. And yeah. So I figured out yeah. how it, perfect time and to you ask. Know, I, I didn't even know how it worked when I started doing the show. Oh, wow. And and I was already a member of BMI because I had a couple little like films that I'd done stuff on. And, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. had, I had a little bit of BMI. And when I got my first check, <laughs> my first check that had Who's Line stuff on it, I was like, what? I had no idea. <laughs> and so then I had to call, I, I called all the actors and I was like, okay, I, because like, I can't imagine the Collins was a member of BMI or ASCAP before that. Right, right. And I'm like, you might as well, because you're getting one fifth of your, your due one fifth of the royalties on the hoedown, for example. Yeah. Right? Cause 
four singers plus me. So, um, so I'm like, you guys should all join BMI or ASCAP because it's money that you could be getting. It's mailbox money, you know? Yeah. That's that's, see, look at that. You're helping your cast members make some extra money. There you go. Now that's the show went on hiatus from 2007 to 2013. Mm -hmm. And in that time, you formed a band called the Sweet Potatoes. Yeah. How did you guys get started doing that and who's in it and and what kind of music are you making? So the way that it got started is because my husband, Rick, uh, made an indie film and he hired a friend, Kelly, to play his girlfriend. Okay. And so they were on the set together. uh, You know, it was like a 10 day shoot or something. So they were hanging out all the time. And he called me and he said, man, you and Kelly should write together because you so much love the same kinds of music. Like, it, you know, it, everything that she says she loves, I know you love, too. <laughs> so, you know, like I'm a huge fan of Emmylou Harris and like Dolly Parton and that sort of old school country folk stuff. And yeah. um, and so and I'm like, Rick, it's not that easy just because people like the same kind of music doesn't mean <laughs> can write together, you know. <laughs> And he's like, well, all right, but you could try. And he was right. Okay, he was right. (laughs) (laughs) So should I send him the file of this show afterwards? (laughs) He'll always have a recording of that. Exactly, of his wife saying one time that he was right. So you guys do, uh, you sing, perform, uh, I guess, an Americana style of music? Yes, so it's, it's Americana. Kelly and I do the writing. Um, and Rick plays, so Kelly plays guitar and sings. She's a fantastic singer. Um, Rick plays bass and sings and plays harmonica. And I get to play guitar and accordion in this band. Ooh, I don't accordion. play piano. Yeah, and I sing also. So it's been really fun to explore like a different part of my musicianship, That's you know, awesome. and, and play a different instrument. I've been playing piano since I was nine. It's really <laughs> nice to play guitar in a band. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys, uh, is it all originals or do you do some covers? We do some covers, certainly. Um, and it, you know, it varies depending on the gig and stuff, but, but we really came together with the writing and the harmonizing, like we really like vocal harmonies a lot. And so we, our stuff is loaded with that. So, um, yeah, so that's where we come together. And we've, we've made three CDs now and we tour and we play locally and, uh, and we're, we have a great time. We're writing all the time and trying out new material. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's my baby for sure. I got no complaints. <laughs> So you do, it sounds like you do a lot of traveling between uh, your, your time with the sweet potatoes, but you also do workshops for, for uh, music improv. Right. So, so Rick and I teach music improv uh, together, sort of, it all happened really organically. It sort of grew out of the uh, improv karaoke 
and then uh, and and now we're doing a lot of it. And we've developed our own curriculum, and and we're really good teachers, if I say so myself. <laughs> so we do, yeah. So we tour and we teach at like theaters and colleges and improv clubs, and you know we'll go coach teams and that kind of stuff. And then we also tour with the Sweet Potatoes. And sometimes we'll even mix them up in the same tour, right? We'll have if we're in an area, because once you get out east or something, you know, you might as well book up what you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you guys are still on the West Coast. Right. We're in Los Angeles. All right. Well, when you guys come out to the East Coast, I I have to keep an eye out for that. Maybe I can catch a a Sweet Potatoes show. Like I said, I've taken improv classes and I love improv, but I don't play instruments i don't know how to read music I've, I've, i play a little bit of crappy guitar but that's about it so i don't know how good of a fit i would be for that class but oh but the classes are for the singing side oh my gosh that's classes that's are for the singing that's probably even worse but that might be uh, why i should take it yes and you know it's so interesting because doing song improv i think is like the scariest of the scary for people for a lot of people oh it, it would you know, be for me like what was that? It would be for me because I remember when we were doing the improv classes, one of the warm ups would be, you know, the zip, zap, zop stuff. But then they also mm-hmm. would have us sit, sit, uh, stand in a circle and you would get in the middle of the circle and you would sing. And you couldn't stop mm-hmm. singing until somebody else in the circle tapped you out and then right. everybody in the circle sang. And so I remember the first time we did it, you know, we had no idea what the warm up exercises were going to be. And mm-hmm. He tells us what we're going to be doing and everybody in the class is just groaning and God. And I just sat there and I waited and I waited because I, I, I love music. I have a, a huge music collection and I listen to tons of music, but I couldn't think of a single song at that point. I mean, I've got like 3000 CDs in the room that I'm sitting in right now and, right. and I couldn't think of a single song to tap Isn't somebody that- in. Oh, it was ridiculous. And then I, I came up with a plan after that. I decided the next time we do that, I'm going to tap in really early and I'm just going to sing happy birthday. <laughs> and that's what I did. There you go. So, that worked out. so I would, maybe I would be a, a, a good candidate for your class. Get me over that hump. Yeah, we're actually, we're, we're really good with beginners um, because I I know how it, it, intimidating it can be for people. And so we're really good at making a very safe space and then really easing into it. So we, we really start with exercises to help people get used to their voice. Uh, we do like gibberish singing. So you don't have to be worried about thinking up lyrics. Oh, you, wait. You know what I mean? mean? Like we, we sort of ease your way into it. And um, and so we do get, especially in the beginning, obviously in advanced classes, people have done it before and they like it and they know they like doing it. Yeah. But in beginner classes, typically half the people at the start will be like, okay, this scares the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm raising my hand right now. And yet they're successful. Three hours later, they're like, wow, I did it. I may not have been great. Or you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm not Ariana Grande, yes. but I did it, you know? But I'm also not Tiny Tim. Yes. <laughs> there you go. 
I've got one more question for you before I, I've taken up a whole lot of your evening tonight. So the last question I have for you is you've done work uh, on children's albums and you did a, a production called Wheels on the Bus and that starred <laughs> Roger Daltrey as an eight foot dragon. Yep. Did you get actually, did you actually get the chance to work with him or was that, were you guys separate? No, I did. Yes, indeed, I did. Because oh, wow. I was a songwriter. So I was, and then, and the first one we did, okay, this is a really low budget production. At the time, The Who was in retirement and had no, it, it seemed like there was no way they were ever going to get back together. Obviously, since then they have. Yeah. Okay. So he had moved to Los Angeles and wanted to have a career as an actor. He was really exploring acting. And voiceover is a really interesting kind of acting. And he's got a very unique voice because it's sort of half British, half American. Yeah. So he's like, I want to do voiceover work. I want to learn how to do it. Okay, so that was his mindset. And then along comes this incredibly low budget project where they go, oh, we don't care that you don't really know how to do voiceover work. We want you. And so, so, so it was sort of, a perfect fit. It was the only reason we got it. Okay. <laughs> that was the only reason. Um, so, you know, and then there's a bunch of kids singing. I sang on it. Everybody I knew practically sang on it, but he was the, you know, he was the dragon. So we've got everybody else's parts recorded. It's time to do his. And they go, the producers go, yeah, we're just going to have him come to your studio. And I'm like, okay, wait, my studio's in my garage. It's, <laughs> itty bitty it's 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 a project studio it's not like a proper studio you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i don't think we should have roger daltrey come here oh my god and it's tiny and i don't have like a waiting room thing like a like a real (laughs) studio does you know what i mean and when you turn the air conditioner off like i never record in the afternoon because when you turn the air conditioner off for the sound it gets blazing hot in like five Okay, so all of the above, I'm like, no, 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 don't bring Roger here. Please don't bring Roger here. Please don't bring Roger here. Oh, no, it'll be fine. Yeah. So they bring him, and, it, and of course, they schedule it for like two in the afternoon on a day when it's 110 outside. You know, I mean, and, and I'm like, you guys, you're not listening to me. Anyway, so they bring him in. He's such a good sport. Oh, good. I couldn't believe but so then he's there, plus the producers, plus I brought in an assistant engineer because I was nervous. Oh, and yeah. I didn't want it to be like, oh, Roger Daltrey's here and I've screwed up, you know? Yeah, So exactly. there's, there's like seven of us and we're in it. We're like in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> Practically. <laughs> and it's a million degrees. Oh, jeez. And... It was just, and he was such a good sport, but when we finished, he said to the producers, if I do another one, we're not doing it like this. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not coming back to Laura's house. And then he came in the house. We had just remodeled our kitchen and he had bought, he had bought this really nice house in Sherman Oaks and he was going to remodel his kitchen. So then him and Rick sat there talking about flooring and drawer poles. Oh my God. Like half an hour after we were done, like only my husband would be shooting the breeze with Roger Daltrey about you know. Well, like we were going to do the chrome plated, but we decided (laughs) (laughs) that is the best story. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 
Who else can say that? And he ended up doing two more. We ended up doing three of them together. Thank goodness the other two we didn't do in my studio. Yeah. um, And he was a great, he was a great sport. But then, you know, the Who got back together and he was like, oh, I think I'm going to do that instead. What's that? I I guess. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I mean, the Who or... Wheels on the bus. Or part the wheels four. on the bus. I don't know. It had to be a hard choice for him. Yeah. I'm sure he tore him up. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with me. Like I said, I've taken up a ton of your time and I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Mark. It was really fun. Oh, I'm glad. in that game are going to go to Laura, who has to play that infernal song over and over and over. Yes. She deserves it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.